The Start On Demand. On demand. Should Terry Fox be the new face of the $5 bill? The Bank of Canada is accepting nominations. You can go to their website and submit the nomination, but Terry Fox is one of the big names, so we'll have a chat about that. Pier 1 is closing all of its stores, which once again brings back the conversation. Is the brick-and-mortar store model becoming an antique? And as Black History Month continues, we will speak with Desmond Cole, the author of The Skin We're In, a year of black resistance and power. And he is a passionate man. Can't wait to share this conversation with you. I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, February 18th podcast for The Start. Mackling McGarry and McNabb, and I'll tell you what, guys, yesterday I, I went out to the gym thinking I'll take advantage of the fact that I assume most people are going to be relaxing on Louis Riel Day, and I get to the gym at Planet Fitness on uh, Regent Avenue, I don't know, 1130, and it was packed, like, to the gills. I walked in and said, no, nah, no, nah, this ain't happening. I guess those New Year's resolutions are lasting a little bit longer than most people Expected, yeah. That's I was counting on it. Like, ah, it's we're well past resolution. Six weeks in. It's the long weekend blues, though. Like you power through Friday night fun or Saturday night fun, and they get to that Monday, and you're like, I got no excuse. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, so a guilt. It's guilt. Because that's what drove me to the gym. Right. <laughs> so there you go. Everybody, you and everybody else there had overindulged on something that weekend. Okay. I mean, I did end up working out in the gym in my apartment building. I just, I like to, you know, go to the a bigger gym and be around. I, I like to be around some people, but when it's too many people and you're fighting for spots, it's whatever. There's it, a threshold. Yeah. Is it actually fighting for spots? Like you've gotten to that point where you wait, you have to wait? When it was, it looked like it would be that busy. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure good. every treadmill, every elliptical was full of hmm. nursing at that pack. I mean, good for uh, everyone get, getting out there and, and for dealing sure. with their overindulgence and not giving up on their resolutions. But I was really counting on the uh, the resolutions. You should have had a group therapy session, Speaking maybe. Speaking of waiting for machines, have you ever noticed at the gym that people, like, we talk a lot about phones being helpful in exercise. Yeah. But people are just sitting on their phones, sitting on the machines. Yeah. And so you're like, are you in between reps or are you just sending an email out because I'd like you to get off that machine. It's just like a parking spot. It's mine oh, until I leave. It's true. So, but then don't put your car in reverse so I can see the backup lights coming, but you're just sitting there with your foot on your brake. That's a line Come too on, far. Come on, man. You're then indicating that you're preparing to vacate the parking space. I agree with you there. I'm just going to sit for a bit. Leave it in park. Leave it in don't park. touch the brake light. Right. Definitely don't put it in reverse. I would have no problem with saying to someone, hey, uh, are you almost done on that machine? Because I'd like to use it. Would you do that? Mm, depends how bad. I don't know. Sometimes it's a nice excuse. I would have, totally would have done another 30 minutes on the elliptical, but somebody was using it. Oh, easier <laughs> to blame somebody yeah. else. And or writing like a PowerPoint presentation mm. on their machine. Mackling, you had a you were busy on Sunday morning uh, with this big fire on Philip Lee. Yeah, it was uh, well. I was up at five o'clock. You and I were texting with one another at five o'clock, so technically a sleep in for both of us. Well, I woke up on the couch. I think at five. Oh, so you were seeing five o'clock from the other side. You were essentially couch. still up. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was up, and I was watching the morning show that Apple uh, program with Jennifer Aniston. And uh, I was just kind of, of course, had to have my phone yep. on my lap and noticed that this fire had been reported on our internal <laughs> newswire, realizing it was just a handful of minutes away from me. I figured I better get out of bed, throw some clothes on and go and see what I could find out. And what I saw was, I guess, about an 80 condo, uh, four story condo building burnt to the ground. Wow. 
So there were four buildings under construction. Two had been completed. This third one was completely closed in. The roof was on. The windows and everything were in. They were putting up the metal frames for the balconies. I don't know what was going on inside. And they just started uh, the fourth building in the last little while. And uh, sure enough, that building, the the third of the four buildings, uh, burnt completely to the ground and probably about two hours. Mm. Wow. This incredible pictures from the scene and it had us talking amongst ourselves and with other people and we're going to bring the fire paramedic service on, the assistant chief on after eight just to ask the question about these kind of construction projects because it was just two months ago another condo fire happened on South Pemina. I believe it was either on the roof or very close to the roof because the roof went up in flames for sure. It caused major damage, didn't bring it to the ground, but we're talking about just the tools that are left around in construction projects, the heaters that are used to dry cement, you know, are those contributing to any sort of issues that we might be seeing at condo fires and and what do we need to be doing more? The biggest difference I I would say between the two fires, one would be the ARC project on Pembina Highway and Bison Drive. That's an all uh, concrete or or cement construction, whereas this project in Philip Lee is four stories maximum that you can do in mm-hmm. all wood construction. So, which obviously tons of combustible materials there, which made for once it got going, there was no way they were going to stop the fire. They just wanted to make sure. I th- suspect, and we'll ask Winnipeg uh, Police or Fire and Paramedic Service if the strategy was just to make sure it didn't damage any other structures. Yeah, I remember there was a, this goes back a few years now, there was a building, I think it's an apartment, I'm not sure if it's an apartment or condo building, but it's at Westminster and Maryland mm-hmm. at, the, at the southwest corner, I believe, and uh, it was almost done, and it went up. I remember like, that. It, 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 it was a raging inferno, mm-hmm. from what I recall, and they had to hit the reset button and start over. The heat from that was apparently, I remember, so intense that the church across the street, the doors were yeah, like, kind of right. melted. The bus shelter up the street had this window shattered out. Like, it was pretty, you know, you look at these and think, okay, well, nobody's living in them, so we're fine. But the the damage that goes beyond, you know, that the debris falls to the ground or spreads. It was windy on the weekend, so... Uh, yeah, it would be concerning for anyone seeing that in that neighborhood Sunday morning. And we're also going to talk more today about blockades. Whose job is it to end the blockades? Another one went up yesterday in Manitoba on Highway 75 just outside of Morris. Yeah, just south of Morris. And I, I feel, I'm feeling, am I wrong? Are you mad at the police because they aren't doing anything? Or are you feeling badly for police because they're kind of in a rock and a hard place? If they go in and kick people off... Someone's going to be mad somewhere. Someone's going to cry foul about something. And if they don't go in, you're like, well, what are you doing here? Just sitting here watching these protests happen. Like, what's your line and what do you think they should be doing? I saw five cabinet ministers at least go in and out of the PMO office uh, yesterday on national television with very little comment. In or out. They went into a meeting and said nothing. That's typical. But then they come out of the meeting and they still had nothing to say. And and that's where I'm finding my frustration is lying with the federal government, not stating unequivocally what they believe the action ought to be, because I think you're exactly right. Police find themselves between a rock and a hard place. What is what is in fact the intention, the will of the nation on this? I know that people are getting beyond frustrated with these blockades, but where is the direction from the federal government here. All they've tried to say is pass the buck to the provincial government, which means, in essence, they're trying to take a hands-off approach. That's not going to work any longer. They are under under the gun here to make a statement as to what they see as the eventual resolution of this, if, if we see anything in the short term. Conversations seem to be starting but man, yeah, I do feel bad for police at this point in time because they are really stuck in the middle. This is exciting news from NBC Sports. They're going to use an all-female crew to call and produce a St. Louis-Chicago game on March 8th in honor of International Women's Day. And Greg, there's a Winnipegger on that crew. There is. Should we uh, let the cat out of the bag now as to which Winnipegger will be involved in that broadcast? Eh. Yeah, I think they, the audience will turn over uh, quite a bit by 7.15, so why not? <laughs> Jennifer Botterill, who is one of the most decorated female hockey players on the planet, will be in-studio analyst. She already works on New York Islanders broadcasts and does a bang-up job on a variety of different hockey broadcasts across North America. So this is groundbreaking, of course, Loren. I think it's super exciting, but for me... 
the fact that Jennifer Botterill will be part of this groundbreaking and historic event is a bigger deal than the event itself. But well, you can convince me otherwise. No, I don't have to convince you otherwise. She's such a decorated Canadian athlete. She's, uh, I mean, everything she's done for the sport of hockey and women's hockey is tremendous. And now to see the impact she's going to have as a studio analyst in this NHL first, the first time NHL's had an all-female cast. I was just thinking the other day when I, I can't remember which channel I was flipping by, TSN, Sportsnet, something. And I stopped remarking every time I see a female or a dual female anchor. Like there, the tons of times now that you watch a sports broadcast where it's two females hosting just the sports show, let alone like an actual center. event, like Sports Center or whatever. Incredibly I, common, I, I, in it's fact. It's common, but I used to always remark, like five, six years ago, you'd be like, oh, wow, look at that. There's two women hosting the show tonight, and now it's just so common. So uh, there's still part of me that can't wait till we get to the point where we're not remarking on all the firsts that are still have never, are yet to come. That would be nice, but it, this is tremendous for these these ladies. So we'll have more on that at 7.15. At 7.07, just very quickly, Loren, we're talking more about blockades. Yeah, and what do you want people, the police, the politicians, to do about it, though? Prime Minister was in Ottawa yesterday. There was an emergency meeting. So we're going to share with you more of what was said or perhaps more importantly, what wasn't said out of that meeting. And MPs are back in action in Ottawa today. And you can bet they're getting tons of phone calls from every single person in this country saying, do something or talk or reconcile, fix this. And so the question is, what is the fix? You used to have a customer who came into Taco Bell. I'm just pulling it. I like how it all comes yeah. back to Taco Bell. Yeah, you can bring everything back to Mendoza and bring back everything to Taco okay, Bell. Do huh? it. <laughs> and every time he'd pull out his cash, because all the all the meals were like four fifty four, and so he'd pull out a five dollar bill and he'd always snap, snap the bill because he wanted to make sure he was only giving me one sure. instead of two. Because sometimes they stick together, right? Well, right now I'm looking at this five dollar bill, and the face on this could be changing. Yeah, or is changing. It is changing. Wilford Laurier. Going to be out, or should I say Sir Wilfred Laurier, is currently on the $5 bill, but the Bank of Canada now accepting nominations to replace that notable Canadian. And as Global's Mike Armstrong tells us, Canadian hero Terry Fox is in the running to take the spot. You want to touch his head? Okay. This is a pretty common conversation for parents across Canada, teaching your kids about Terry Fox and his attempt to run across Canada. Well, Brad West is also the mayor of Fox's hometown. He's pushing for Terry Fox to be put on the $5 bill and says he's not having any trouble getting people on board. A lot of people are like, that's an absolute no-brainer. You know, <laughs> people, people are pretty enthusiastic about it. This coming April will mark 40 years since Terry Fox dipped his prosthetic leg in the Atlantic Ocean and hit the road. Since that day, more than $750 million has been collected for cancer research in his name. His marathon of hope grew as he went and it hasn't stopped, even though cancer cut him down and he never made it to the Pacific. All I can say is that if there's any way I can get out there again and finish it, I will. Now, the nominations are pouring into the Bank of Canada. They're listed on its website, 303 and counting. But Port Coquitlam, Fox's hometown, is campaigning to get their guy chosen. Yeah, no, 100% agreed on that, yeah. I, I already acted on it. Uh, Terry is a unifying choice because he really embodies all the values that I think all of us, no matter where we live, uh, hold dear to our heart. Now, if there are Terry Fox runs in every part of the country, there are also supporters all over. Eddie Nolan saw Fox run in Montreal in 1980. He's run every year since. Nolan's also been leaning on his inspiration recently in his own battle with cancer. He says he'd love to see Canadians start calling the $5 bill the Fox. Oh, man. I, I really am behind this so much, a thousand percent. Some fans online have even put up suggestions for what a Fox Fiver could look like. There may be other candidates, but none so far seems to have a campaign behind them. Public support is one of the criteria the Bank of Canada will be considering. If it comes down to popularity, that likely makes Terry Fox, well, the frontrunner. Mike Armstrong, Global News, Montreal. Who's saying no to this? Who is pushing back and saying, no, not Terry Fox? I'm trying to find the other names. Like, who else is getting the kind of support that he's been garnering? No one. And I can't even find a list of 
Apparently, the government of Canada, they have like 300 people that you can choose from. You can write in your own. But I can't imagine anybody pushing back on this whatsoever. And for those of you listening going, hey, wait a minute, Winnipeg, Terry Fox's hometown. Terry Fox is, of course, born in Winnipeg, spent the first five or six years of his life here before moving to British Columbia. Port Coquitlam is where he grew up, but of course, he was born in our town. Loren, I am just sending you the link now. I, I had a hard time finding it, too. It's, oh. it's right there on the page, but it's kind of like... In a weird color that I had yeah. to click on? I was just combing through that article, and I thought, well, who else is even nominated here? Yeah, because on the Bank of Canada's uh, the page, it says, we're looking for the next bank yeah. notable oh, Canadian. A pun. Notable Canadian. And then sort of it's all these bold letters here and there, and then... Just this tiny little thing says, view some of the iconic Canadians who have been nominated so far. Uh, so now I'm just going to pull open that list here. And John Candy, I see he's one. Oh. Emily yeah. Carr, the artist. Group mm. of seven. Tommy mm. Douglas. Okay. Somebody named Mac Sennett. So I'm sure that the, that person's accomplishments are solid. But I, I'm with you there, Greg. Terry Fox, to me, just seems like a slam dunk. Hal, Hal Anderson on the list? <laughs> well, that's the thing. <laughs> if you put Hal on the list, he might make it. Garner some support, right? <laughs> At least number 34. No, I mean, th- this has to come to fruition. In Manitoba, we have now Terry Fox Day, of course, the only province in Canada to celebrate the memory of Terry Fox in that fashion. I, I think this is an ideal way to really put a... Not a final tribute to Terry Fox because, of course, Terry Fox uh, runs are in place all across the the nation. But this would just be an exclamation mark on this man's contribution to to Canada as a country. Not a dividing force in any way, shape or form. Just really all he's ever done is bring us together. And you think about it in schools and whatnot, all the kids that are involved now in keeping that movement going with Terry Fox Runs. And the work that's been done for cancer that affects, I can't think of anyone probably in this room that hasn't had been impacted by cancer in some way. So, yeah, I'd have to look through that list to see if I feel bad even saying it. If there's somebody else, but uh, there's a lot of names I don't really recognize on that list. So that'll be part of it, too. The the public uh, recognition factor is so strong with him. If you want to read more on this from Global News, you can go to the 680CJOB Instagram story. We have linked the story from Global, to our story. You can watch Mike's video and read more details, and then there will be links to the Bank of Canada. And if you want to see the list and you can't find it, just email us, mackling at cjob.com, mcnab at cjob.com, or brett at cjob.com. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, Jeff Braun is here, Jeff Forte, and Kelly Moore is back. Hello there, Kelly. How you doing? Uh, buenos dias. <laughs> you have the tan like I have a tan from Mexico, which is to say you must wear a lot of sunscreen. Yeah, oh, yes. Uh, it's the first time I've actually not been sunburned. Oh, good. Well yeah. done, then. Yeah, finally learning after all these years. <laughs> <laughs> so the headline at globalnews.ca, Pier 1 Imports closing all Canadian stores as it files for bankruptcy protection. They have filed for bankruptcy in the U.S. and they plan to close all their Canadian stores as part of their restructuring process. And they're going to pursue a sale with a March 23rd deadline to submit bids. So last month they announced that they'd be closing 450 stores, including all its Canadian locations. And that just got us thinking about the change, the ever-changing face of retail in terms of at least brick-and-mortar operations. Like I was walking on Osborne yesterday, and there's an antique store where it used to be an ice cream shop. What was it called? It's called the Dairy Maid? Yes, that's right. It's just uh, just uh, south of Osborne and Gertrude, Jeff Braun. That's the street that... Wherever that might be. <laughs> you never know because I won't put a sign there. <laughs> and uh, it's closing. And it's and I just thought, you know, it's kind of a... You know, I know an antique store isn't a, you know, a sort of this retail monolith, but it was weird to see that part of Osborne Village shutting down and there's an antique store on Main Street. I think we've all driven by Antiques and Funk. Right. Mm-hmm. And while I drove by the other day, it's gone. Yeah. I, I don't no know idea that, when it shut down. I don't know if that's a product of the building itself, maybe collapsing 
on itself. It's it's sort of an older building that's been slated for replacement a couple different times over the last couple of decades. But is it just too lazy to say, oh, it's the internet and it's just people shopping online? Because like, Pier 1 was one of those places I genuinely was in three or four times and I didn't get really the concept. I'd never bought a single thing from them. Yeah, what might have worked 30 or 40 years ago, if you don't adapt with the times, then you are going to get snowed under. I know we were just coming home from the airport on Saturday and driving by our old stomping grounds uh, at 930 Portage Avenue. And have you guys noticed the number of stores there? It's so funny you say that. Yeah, Yeah, I was driving to the city yesterday and thinking the same thing about the number of just big big spaces yeah. that are empty. I was on Portage Avenue uh, as well thinking the same thing because I, and I don't know what was there before. Like I don't, can't recall what was in those shops that were, right. you know, yeah. were they actual retail outlets or an insurance yeah. place or something? Are they all going to become condos at, at some point? Because that seems to be, uh, you know, something that is working uh, at least for the time being. But, uh, you know, it, I remember talking about this in a, in a news meeting and nothing angers me more than when a store or a, a franchise advertises a sale, so you make the trip to go down there, and you find out, oh, yeah, we never even ordered any of those. They were just, you know, they were in the flyer, but unfortunately, we uh, we, we didn't receive any. Oh, boy. Well, yeah. so if you're going to turn people to the Internet, sure, that's the way you're going to do it. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, uh, it's just too darn competitive out there to play that kind of game on your on your potential consumer. Do you think some of this too maybe has to do with uh, like is it just people have a lack of dis or of disposable income these days compared to years ago? Like I, when I was thinking about how many things do I actually go out and buy outside of like things that I need or like other like I'll I'll spend money on like pizza and you know I'll go to the LC and get something, but I don't like anytime I actually make a purchase on clothes or golf stuff, I almost feel guilty because I do it so seldom now. So, because I, I generally don't have that extra budget for that. Yeah, I don't know about that. Uh, stuff that we don't need seems to come to my house all the time. So, <laughs> I, I can't. And, and I think, uh, Brent, you're in the, the situation where you're not, you know, living with a wife and two kids or three kids or whatever. I think it would probably be different for Loren and Greg and, uh, and, and Jeff. Uh, you know, with no, I'm in Brett's situation. I can count on one hand the amount of times I go to. A, you don't buy anything. The amount of times the in a year that I go to a store that isn't so a Jeff grocery Braun store. So Jeff doesn't buy anything for the girlfriend's children. Oh. Sign my name to a lot of cards. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I think it is so. I think the pendulum is going to have to swing though, because I've recently started ordering or in the last year. I've ordered a lot of things online, and for the most part, have been super pleased with how quickly things arrive. Yeah. But I've never really been in love with the product. And so I feel like the ease to which you can get things to your home is attracting a lot of people and will continue to for a bit. But what you get is going to start maybe sending some people back to the store, especially yeah. like, like a Pier One's like, for, is it furniture? Sorry, I'm the same. It's, it's nautical it's, equipment, it's, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's ships. <laughs> it's for people who own ships. But, ah, there's the problem. They, Pier One imports <laughs> in the middle of the prairies. Yeah. <laughs> there's no ocean. But it's furniture. It's like things for your house, cushions, like all that kind of so. stuff. And I've ordered things. Core. I've ordered things online, done the full measurements, all the rest, made sure it was going to fit, and then it arrives and, and it's cheaply made and you can't see the product yourself. So I do think for that kind of stuff, you're going to eventually want to go back to the store unless you're the type that's good at returning things online, which I'm also not. Like I, I ordered a whole front bench for our entrance to sit down and shove the kids' bags in and everything, and I don't like it at all. But just the thought of, like, we'd already built it. And then the thought of, like, taking it down and putting it back in the box and taking it back. I was like, yeah, we'll just keep this thing. It seems like a pain. It just is a pain. So I would be the type to say, let's go back to the store next time and not do that online. Mm, I I like that. And by the way, it was Dutch-made. I think I said dairy-made. Dutch-made. Dutch-made on Osborne. Okay, well, because I had thought it was Dutch-made, and then someone said to me, uh, dairy-made. So I couldn't quite remember. Uh, So I think I may have planted that seed. No, that's all. Anyway, our listeners, of course, listening very intently, at least half a dozen or more of them reminding us that it was Dutch-made. Yeah, and, you know, to counterbalance the empty store syndrome on that part of Portage Avenue, Avenue, you know, somebody should maybe sit down with DeLucas and find out what it is they're doing because well, service. what they're doing is extremely 
extremely productive. Yeah, it's service, it's personal attention. Yeah. When you walk in the store, I go in that store every once in a while, and I always walk out very pleased with the way they treat me. And I think that's going to be the next level, the, the change, the shift again, is going to come around to service. You're going to have to start treating your the people that are in your store like gold. Yeah. Listen to what Cliff just texted to say. Hey, guys, I find a lot of my shopping goes online because the staff at the stores don't want to help and are rude about it right there. So that might be part of the issue. Let us know what you think. 204-780-6868. Jeff Braun, Kelly Moore, Jeff Fortier, thank you very much. Football Breakfast with the Bombers brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. After securing their most prized free agents, their own pending free agents, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers quickly went looking for somebody to fill the position on the depth chart with the most glaring shortage of talent when the free agent market kicked in a week ago today, thanks to the departures of Winston Rose to the Cincinnati Bengals and Marcus Sales to the Minnesota Vikings, the Blue Bombers needed a veteran defensive back to shore things up. Josh Johnson has spent four seasons with four different teams in the CFL. The 29-year-old Purdue University product started 17 games for the Eskimos last season at both cornerback and halfback and has 64 career starts with BC, Ottawa, Hamilton, and Edmonton. Josh Johnson joins us now on Breakfast with the Bombers. Josh, good morning to you, sir. Good morning. How's everyone doing today? We are doing great. How are you doing? We catching up with you in uh, Florida, Josh? Yes, sir. I'm actually in Florida right now. Um, just making some breakfast for my little son, for my son. So um, trying to keep him to be a little quiet while I take this interview. We don't mind if he makes a little bit of noise and adds a little bit of ambiance. What are, you, what are you making for breakfast in the Johnson household this morning? Oh, honestly, man, he uh, he just told me he wants some Captain Crunch cereal. So <laughs> how old did you say he was, Josh? And, and uh, how many kids do you have? I have uh, actually I have one right now, and he's uh, he's two years old, and uh, he just can talk so much, man. He's just a handful. <laughs> love it well that's one of the things that uh, cfl teams like about you josh <laughs> i love it is the fact that uh you like to talk on the field you're a great communicator uh ed tate did a feature on you uh on the website bluebombers.com and he mentioned the fact that you were a participant in tsn's mic'd up and that was one of the things that caught uh, ed and and others attention the fact that that you seem to be able to see plays happen before they actually take place. Uh, man, I wouldn't call myself a Houdini or uh, a guru or anything like that. Uh, I just honestly, I just buy my time in by watching a lot of film and really just trying to get my teammates to be on the same page as me and trying to really get them to see the same thing that I'm seeing. Like you said, I've been in the league. This is going on year five. So uh, a lot of preparation, a lot of different film study, understanding different concepts, and just understanding who you're playing against, man. It just makes it a lot easier for you to understand what's going on. So this will be your fifth team in those five years that you just mentioned, Josh. Are you ready to settle down? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I actually am. Uh, I, I Honestly, I thought that I would have had a chance to settle down uh, somewhere else, but uh, I just barely, I had a better chance to be able to play for Blue Bombers and. I told myself, you know, if I have opportunity to play with Winnipeg, I'm definitely going to take that shot. And if they can make myself home in Winnipeg, I'd definitely love to play there for numerous of years. With the, the fact that the Bombers were the, are the Great Cup champions, did that make your decision easy to come here? I wouldn't say it's easy just because, I mean, a lot of people know I'm playing in the CFL. It's, a, it's so hard to go back to back to win championships. But when you have a, a great coaching staff and you have so many great players that they have, and then I was blessed to be able to have the opportunity to be able to play with my cousin uh, by the name of Janarian Grant. So, uh, I mean, they kind of put the icing on the cake and Willie Jefferson calling me, FaceTiming me, telling me that, you know, he was going to stay. So he told me just call ahead and come down to Winnipeg. So, I mean, it was just a great opportunity, honestly. That sounds like a great recruiting job by, by Willie Jefferson. And uh, you have a friendship with uh, Adam Big Hill as well, I understand. Of course, yes, sir. Uh, that takes me back to 2014, back in BC days. I played with Adam Big Hill and uh, Salah Alamemi. But I also played with Jamarcus Hardridge, and I played with uh, Andrew Harris. 
so I, I've had a lot of guys on the team right now previously that I've played with in numerous years back in BC. Does that add to the comfort level of coming to what is a, a new location for you, a new city? Oh, yes, sir. I mean, I, I really I don't it don't bother me to go to different locations, different cities. I mean, that's just a part of the game. But you, you just have more comfort, like you said, when you know a lot of guys in the room and they respect you, they understand who you are, and they just kind of just welcome you in on, on welcome arms. So it just makes it that much easier. Question from your warm, sunny seat in Florida this morning. Does the family come with you to Winnipeg, or do they choose to stay in those warmer climates for the season? Honestly, a lot of them hate the cold. So <laughs> if they hear it being 50 degrees in Florida, they think that's freezing. So. I've been trying to beg them to come down to Canada for a little bit. Their their biggest thing is they'll come down to visit for a couple of days or a week, and then they're going back home. They said they love the sun too much. How hard is that when they're apart from you for so long? Oh man, it's so hard, especially when you're just so used to seeing them all the time. And I'm just I'm so used to having my son a lot, so uh, it's just, it's uh, it's bearing on me not to have him around. And, and he loves football, so I mean I just need him there sometimes just to kind of you know complete that little emptiness that I have sometimes. Well, Josh, we look forward to meeting you face-to-face. We appreciate you taking time on this uh, day off and part of your off-season to uh, welcome you to Winnipeg and to the Blue Bombers on behalf of uh, 680 CJOB, the voice of the Bombers. Great to meet you. Oh, it was great to have uh, be able to have the opportunity to talk with you guys this morning. Uh, I'm just ecstatic and thrilled to be a part of the Blue Bombers. Uh, I'm excited, you know, so uh, I'm very looking forward to seeing you guys face-to-face and being able to put on the blue and gold. And one final question, Josh. Will you, too, be partaking in the uh, the Captain Crunch? Oh, trust me. That's one of my favorite cereals as well, so I'm definitely eating. I'll eat more than he is right now. <laughs> well, enjoy. Thank you for being on with us. Have a great day. Thank you, you too. Have a great one. Josh Johnson joining us live on 680 CJOB for Breakfast with the Bombers. Breakfast with the Bombers, Captain Crunch. Literally having breakfast with the Bombers, yes. Should we nickname him the Captain right now? The Captain? Yes. I'm trying to figure out, Captain Crunch, is it like the, the, they kind of like shreddies? No, they're different. Oh, no, 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 no. No? No. They are uh, maybe shaped in a square, but they're very (laughs) small square. That's where the similarities (laughs) end? That's where the similarities end. Shreddies is a good word to use, though, because whenever I eat Captain Crunch, it shreds. Reds the top of my mouth. No question about it. I it knew is you would so know about crunchy, this. so crunchy and tasty. But yeah, you gotta be careful with that one. And it doesn't say captain on the box, right? It does say C A P apostrophe yeah. N, right? Yeah. Captain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? We should extend the invite to Josh to come on and have some Captain Crunch with Brett. Yeah, or maybe in studio, it, or maybe he'll try the. I uh, wonder if he's tried the Timbits. Oh, cereal. Yeah, I think we have an idea for uh, for a video segment coming up in May. If we direct you to the 680CJOB Instagram story, you will see footage from a huge fire that happened on Sunday morning just near Concordia and La Jamaudière. For the second time in a matter of months, a condo project under construction has gone up in flames. The building on Philip Lee Drive in Transcona burned to the ground early Saturday morning. And Greg, you were there. It, it was happening within... Uh, a few, not a few blocks from me, but close to home. And it was quite obvious, I think, once you arrived nearby that it wasn't much hope for that place. No, as soon as I got on the scene just after 7 o'clock, we had it reported as starting just before 6, if memory serves me correctly. Uh, the building was a total loss by the time I got there and essentially had been burnt to the ground. Jay Shaw is Assistant Chief with Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. Joins us now. Good morning, Jay. Good morning. Thanks for this. Do we have any idea at this point what caused this fire in Transcona? Uh, still under investigation. I can give you a little bit of a, an update on sort of uh, what we've been up to. Uh, so currently, um, investigators were able to get on scene on Sunday night uh, and do what we call an objective uh, investigation. So the difference between objective and subjective, of course, is if sometimes we can't get inside uh, into a, a building or structure. So they were actually physically able to uh, uh, go through the debris and the rubble and, and do an objective investigation. Uh, they've also done uh, their subjective inter- uh, investigation and we're talking to uh, uh, witnesses and uh, building owners and uh, construction foremen and stuff like that. So it's still under investigation. Uh, I, you can, as you had mentioned before, this was a, a quite a large incident. So the uh, the investigation is going to take some time. 
It's the second uh, major fire we've seen at a condo project under construction in just a matter of months. There was that one on South Pemina where the 15-story building, uh, the fire broke out near the roof or perhaps it was on the roof and it suffered some major damage. Are there are these kinds of projects under more risk for fires when they're under construction in, or at this kind of stage, Jay? Yeah, so we, we've uh, we've stated before and it's uh, it's. Uh, Kind of a, a North American and uh, trend, I guess you can say, is is when buildings are are being renovated, demolished, and are uh, under new construction. There's a lot of activity happening. You've got all your construction workers and uh, a lot of electrical and heating and uh, and and different tradespeople uh, uh, doing work, and and it, and it allows for a certain level of increased risk anytime you have uh, that much work going on. So absolutely, and if you've got a a large building under construction with, uh, you know, 10 floors, 5 floors, 20 floors, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, anywhere as to uh, dozens of contractors on site, uh, you're, you have an increased risk of of, uh, of issues. And, and I think that uh, in, the, in these situations, um, uh, what we're seeing is uh, uh, companies are, are – are doing a good job with trying to protect their properties and and uh, and yet we uh we always want to see uh uh more done if we can so so uh, was this a case of just protecting the the structures surrounding this uh building under construction jay like i said by the time i got there not only was the fire well involved but uh, the building had essentially burned to the ground and in less than a couple of hours there there was no saving that that project uh fairly early on i suspect no, actually, you're you're bang on there. So what what actually happens is is our commanders get on scene, and they're trained to do uh, using situational awareness. They're trained to do a risk assessment and determine what the best course of action is. And and are they are they going to send all of their resources and all their firefighters to try and put the fire out on that one building, and potentially lose three other? You know, one uh, was not occupied, but two other. Uh, condominium complexes just to the north that had just been uh, occupied in the last little while, or are you, you know, you've got lives, uh, life safety issues over there. So their 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 tactic was to uh, protect the exposures and do what we call a defensive fire operations. And they actually, uh, when we when we look at it now, uh, uh, it was it was pretty spectacular firefighting work because uh, potentially uh, millions uh, of dollars saved. When it comes to just the risk that these projects under construction have posed, and, and you laid out, you outlined some of the reasons why, Jay, does anything need to change? Or are there regulations that have been put in place that other cities or jurisdictions have added as a result of the additional risk that comes with uh, projects under construction or renovation? Do we need to do more? And, and I ask only because this is the second high profile fire in uh, recent months. Well, we can always do more, but I think that right now uh, all the rules and regulations are being followed uh, as best as I know. Like I said, this fire is still under investigation and the details will uh, will come out uh, uh, when they come out. But I can tell you that we're always looking to work with uh, building associations and and uh, and you know and be a part of of what's happening out there in the construction industry to make everyone safer. Anytime that there's a situation like this, we always see a flood of videos and pictures that make their way to social media. We had a number of people sending us examples of such videos. Just curious to know, do do these videos help you guys at all with your investigation? Uh, Or are those videos taken from too far away to, to be of any sort of value to you? Uh, in this case, I'm not uh, sure if our investigators are using any uh, of the bystander uh, videos or, or videos from uh, news or, or anything like that. But I can tell you, the with social media being such a major part of emergency response now, uh, it definitely is something that we have to take into consideration. All right, Jay Shaw, Assistant Chief with the Winnipeg Fire Paramedic Service. Thanks for joining us this morning. All right, you guys have a great day. Thanks very much. And thank you, by the way, to those who did send us video and pictures. I noticed this morning that uh, somebody had sent some video early uh, Sunday morning to the 680 CJOB Instagram. I didn't see it until this morning uh, because I, I I unplugged over the weekend and wasn't monitoring our, <laughs> our Instagram. But we do thank you for that uh, because we can't do what we do without your participation. So we just want to let you know that uh, we value any of that kind of stuff that you do send us. Extraordinary accounts uh, by listeners on Sunday morning. Clay Young, hats off to Clay for juggling what he did uh, with just very little uh, human resources in the building at the time. And, and essentially, 
What happens is you become our newsroom to a great extent. So uh, we appreciate that more than we can say. 780-6868, any time of the day or night, if you have things that are happening that you think we need to know about. It's time to talk blockades. Yeah, we've been asking the question to our listeners this morning. We've been asking Greg and Brett, what do we think the Prime Minister should do about the blockades that have shut down rail traffic across this country? What do we think he should do? What would you like to see him do? The rail blockade in Ontario alone, we know it's now in its 12th day. They talk about everything from groceries to other items going up because a lot of them are shipped by train. Closer to home, we had the protesters move on to a CN line south of Morris, and that led to some stoppages on Highway 75 yesterday. And at this hour, the Assembly of First Nations National Chief Perry Belgard is speaking about the protests that have taken place across this country. And we're curious to hear what he's going to say. But first, let's go to Global Nationals' Abigail Beeman, who is in Ottawa watching the latest developments. Good morning, Abigail. Good morning. Let's start with the Prime Minister. He had that emergency meeting yesterday with the Cabinet Ministers where he came out and basically said he wanted things to be resolved quickly and peacefully, but that's about all he said. Any idea what quick means to him? What, what a quick, quick resolution would look like? Well, that, that's a very good question, and I think that there were a lot of people who were expecting some answers after that uh, meeting yesterday with the uh, incident response group and some key ministers uh, on the file. But like you said, he just talked about uh, peaceful and quick resolution. Uh, we know how seriously, I guess is the right word, the Prime Minister is taking this uh, after he cancelled his trip to Barbados uh, for today and tomorrow, where the focus was rallying for a Canadian seat on the UN Security Council. So back home to deal with this. And in the last hour, we learned that he will address the House of Commons about the blockade issue uh, at 11 o'clock Eastern time. So uh, in about an hour and a half from now. So anxious to hear. Uh, Many people would like to know how the government is going to move forward on this. Of course, there are many uh, moving pieces. You mentioned a couple of uh, the blockades. There were a number of uh, demonstrations and blockades that sprung up this weekend. And over in British Columbia, uh, the province and Ottawa are waiting to hear about a meeting with the hereditary chiefs. Uh, They sent a letter uh, joint uh, Carolyn Bennett from from Ottawa and the uh, provincial Indigenous uh, minister sent a a letter to the hereditary chiefs uh, asking for that meeting. So a lot of of moving parts here and and a complicated picture, but we will hear from the Prime Minister in about an hour and a half. Abigail, of course, uh, one of uh, Prime Minister Pierre Trudeau's great moments as, as Prime Minister of Canada is his just watch me quote and his just watch me moment in the face of the FLQ crisis. Do you think Canadians are waiting for something similar from Justin Trudeau? Well, I think that the Prime Minister has been consistent in terms of talking about uh, a peaceful resolution or hoping for resolution through dialogue. So we yet to see exactly how they will respond here. But we know that there's a lot of concern uh, from Ottawa about bringing the police in or, or, or taking some drastic action to move these uh, protesters out. And that is because of what happened previously with uh, clashes such as Ipperwash and Oka. And so uh, the government is, is, is very aware of the potential for violence. We heard from uh, the Indigenous Services Minister uh, said that on the on the West Block this weekend about concern over violence or, or escalation. So we know that that's why they are treading carefully here and that there are a lot of uh, complicated pieces uh, I- involved. But what they ultimately do is still a, a wait-and-see game. You mentioned the Ipperwash crisis. That, of course, was in the 90s and that led to the death of one of the protesters. And, of course, lots of people saying that changed the way we react act to these circumstances and having please take a more hands-off approach. Uh, when it comes to the approach that will happen next, we've got a lot of people saying, why aren't we going to BC? Why isn't the Prime Minister in BC? Why are we writing letters from Carolyn Bennett in Ottawa to the hereditary chiefs? Why are we not having face-to-face meetings with at this level? Right. Well, so the, that's what Carolyn Bennett is asking for, is a face-to-face meeting with the hereditary chiefs, and they are, are waiting for a reply. And a similar situation rolled out over the weekend in Ontario when uh, uh, Mark Miller, the Indigenous Services Minister, eventually got a face-to-face with the uh, Mohawk community and the Mohawk uh, leaders in Ontario. But it, it wasn't so simple as just, you know, showing up and, and having that meeting. There it had to be permission granted for it and a, a couple of backs and forths uh, as that was... Uh, sorted out. So, uh, yes, absolutely. There are people who are who are saying, why doesn't the Prime Minister uh, just show up there and ask for a meeting? But that is what the uh, Indigenous uh, ministers are looking to do. 
All right. Global's Abigail Beeman joining us live on 680 CJOB. Thank you for the time, Abigail. Much appreciated. Thank you. All right. We have two tickets up for grabs for The Office, a musical parody. This is coming to the Burton Cummings Theater on Thursday, June 4th. The Office was a wonderful TV show on NBC for many years. Loren McNabb's favorite show. Mm -hmm. So we found some workplace-related trivia. So here is the question. According to The Mirror Online, what is the most annoying thing that colleagues do? Norm. Good morning to you, Norm. Um, hi. Hi there. Know, would, would it be like making fish at lunch or something? <laughs> making fish at lunch? <laughs> on my list. <laughs> Why? Because of the smell? Uh, oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's a great guess. I disagree. Oh, yeah, the cool. fish at lunch, I would. if you cooked me up some, fried me up some pickerel right now, I'd love it. Well, I guess it depends. Do you mean all seafood or just fish? Oh, any smelly seafood. Yeah, because if it was shrimp, I would have to leave the building. Yeah, Uh, absolutely. Really? Yeah, shrimp, while it's being cooked, makes me just want to gag. Now, if you're filleting the fish at work, or like Dwight did on The Office, where he brought a goose in that was dead (laughs) that he had hit with his car, and then wanted to make a goose for lunch for everybody, and had the dead goose, that's different. (laughs) Continue. Carry on. Norm, that's not the answer, but that's it. That sparked a fun conversation. We like it. And now, now I'm hungry. Hey, thanks for the guest, Norm. Let's try Harold at 204-780-6868. According to the Mirror Online, what is the most annoying thing that colleagues do, Norm or Harold? Leave their messy coffee cups around. Mm-hmm. That's the answer. Oh, oh wow. Well they done. must work here. Not washing mugs is the answer. Congratulations, Harold. Thank you. And our our sports director, Kelly Moore, would salute you for knowing that. Because every day, Kelly marches into our kitchen in the morning and cleans up. Sometimes there are only one or two. Sometimes there are 12 to 24 coffee mugs that have just been left. And it's part of my morning routine as well. Whenever I come in, I go through the newsroom and studios and pick up. uh, Over uh, last week, our weekend staff should be ashamed of themselves. Agreed. How hard is it to put the cup in the dishwasher or empty a dishwasher? I point the finger at Clay Young for a lot of oh, this. So much of it. Yeah. He's Boy. Great news, man. Terrible at cleaning up after himself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Harold, congratulations, sir. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Oh, we appreciate you calling in for this chance to win these tickets to The Office, a musical parody. So we have more tickets to give away throughout the week here on 680 CJOB. So great, because then that means more office trivia. Yes. Like the time Pam put a note at the microwave because it was filthy and no one was ever cleaning the microwave. And she was annoyed. And then someone put a follow-up note saying, Dear Anonymous, coward who left this note, be a man and just clean the microwave. Oh, my. And write fewer notes. Wow. Yeah. There was a, I, rem- come, I can find you an example for any any life lesson that can be found uh, in the office. We usually do it to, usually tie it to Seinfeld or Friends, but sure. uh, Loren, that was like three in a row she was able to tie it to the office. And I think there's a, new, uh, there's a new contender on that list <laughs> of things you can tie things back to. I remember there was a war, one of our previous colleagues, his name was Gord, and he was one of the few people who cleaned up the kitchen, and he put up a note... <laughs> above the sink that said approximately three feet to your southwest (laughs) there is a dishwasher i like coordinates that's good (laughs) and somebody wrote a snarky reply on it really yeah like i just i don't under if the dishwasher is in use like it's actually washing dishes at the moment fine you get a pass but but not really because and just i'm gonna push back a little bit only because if you're having like most of us drink just water out of our coffee mugs You don't have 30 seconds to, like, rinse that out in some running water with a cloth and some soap and then put it back in the cupboard. It's almost as quick as opening that dishwasher. Are you supposed to use soap before you do that? Yes, Greg. Oh, dang. But Sorry, I'm just guys. saying, like, I get it. If the dishwasher's full, you put your stuff in the sink, but it's not that hard to wash a coffee mug. Yeah. I Hey, there's always going to be slobs. We're all too busy. Guys. We're all busy people. <laughs> Uh, the other options, by the way, uh, that, that were part of this, there were four. Yeah. There was noisy eating yes. was one, noisy typers, mm. and and that, I always fear that I'm the noisy typer. But You're just very fast. Yeah, right? you well, are. I'm aggressive. I'm not, not as fast as McNabb. Uh, and the other one is ask about the weekend is another option that people don't like. I thought it was going to be uh, show pictures of your children unsolicited. Oh. <laughs> I thought that was going to be near the top. That would, that, <laughs> I know how much you'd love that, Brett. <laughs> Look what the boy.
boys are up to this weekend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. I think I did that this morning. Very polite. She's Showed very you some polite. Monopoly pictures of playing well, with the kids. I, I did, did enjoy your story. Mm. It was. Did the, you? Yeah, you got like you got your, your wasted. Little, your boy wasted you in Monopoly. He really did. He's seven, and he had all my property by the end. First, I had to mortgage all my property, and then he just took all my property by the end because I had nothing left. Nothing like, left to give. I like the way this is going. He was victorious. Mm-hmm. Hey, on Thursday we had the team in from the play for more three-on-three hockey tournament at Bronx Park Community Center, which was set to happen yesterday. You stopped by, Greg. How did it go? Yeah, actually, they asked me to MC part of the program yesterday afternoon. Our friend Olivia Garula, the former world boxing champ, stopped by and gave oh, a wow. presentation about her battle with concussion and uh, a tremendous response from the community last year. Uh, play for Sven raised $13,000. Yesterday, play for more Raised over $21,000. right on. Including uh, some money that's going to a variety of different organizations that help people in their battle with their own or uh, mental health of uh, people that they love. So once again, a big shout out to uh, Donna Fabry, uh, Byron Spriggs, and Andrea Purcell for not only for inviting me out, but for putting on an incredible event. Sponsors uh, galore who uh, put in their time and their wares to make it a truly successful event that I'm told is going to happen for a third year next year, February 15th. And after the show today, I'm going back out into the wilderness to read to more children's. <laughs> I'm headed to River Elm School on uh, Riverton Avenue, which I think is right off Talbot. I like how you say wilderness, as if you're encountering just strange beasts out in the school system. Well, to me, they are like strange beasts, but the daycare <laughs> ones especially. That Kids, I, I'm sort of okay with kids, uh, but daycare, those kids were scary. You should I'm, be good today. It's grade four? Today's grade four, yeah. yeah. And last year when I went to see some grade four and five kids, Kids, they ask the most hilarious questions. They may ask you how much money you make. Probably. I'll just. Oh, and then they're so disappointed. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's you it? Answer, honestly, My allowance is, it, is did, more than that. Did you see the Chevy Cruze I just pulled up in? The answer is not. It's not been washed in a long time. I did try to wash it a couple of weeks ago uh, when it cooled off, but. Uh, half of Winnipeg also had the same idea. So, Oh, you did not succeed. <laughs> no, you I... got in the lineup and said, the heck with this? Yeah, I would have been there for an hour. That was me yesterday. It is Black History Month, and we have lots of stuff planned for this week. Tomorrow, we're going to discuss the return of the Afro Prairie Film Festival. On Friday, we're going to visit with our friend A.Y. DeSenator about the latest initiative from Africanad. And tonight, at 7 o'clock, there is an event happening at McNally Robinson, an evening with Desmond Cole, discussing and signing... The Skin We're In, A Year of Black Resistance and Power, which is co-presented by Black Space Winnipeg, hosted by the organization's founder and president, Alexa Joy, who will join us tomorrow to talk about the film festival. Now, in May 2015, the cover story of Toronto Life magazine exposed racist practices of the Toronto police force, detailing dozens of times Cole had been stopped and interrogated under the controversial practice of carding. The story entered the national spotlight. He went on to win a number of national magazine awards. His writing has appeared in the Toronto Star, Toronto Life, The Walrus, Now Magazine, Ethnic Isle, Torontoist, BuzzFeed, and The Ottawa Citizen. He hosted a weekly radio show every Sunday on News Talk 1010 for five years. And now you can add author to his list of credentials, and he joins us live in studio. Desmond Cole, welcome, sir. Good morning. It's quite the list of uh, accolades. You read them all. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Can't be all. We must have missed a few, I'm sure. I'm sure along the way. Uh, Is there something different about seeing your name in print on a book than it is in all the articles and other things you've written over the years, Desmond? Yeah, it's very special. Um, You know, my mom can go to a bookstore and see my work uh, featured, you know, on a shelf, and it feels really different so much more goes into a book, so much time and research and energy. And so, yeah, it's it's different and it's exciting. I really like it. I, I, I feel very blessed right now. Is it more unfiltered a pro- process than any of the other work that you've done? Yeah, so that's a good question because, you know, newspapers, for example, which I've written a lot for over the years, and magazines, um, space is a factor and timing is a very big factor in the news as well. We want things that are relevant to what's happening in the day, happening in the week, previewing something that's coming up, whereas you don't have to do that in a book. You can take a step back in a book. I looked at one year 
in Canadian life of recent year, you know, 2017, knowing that the book wasn't going to come out in 2017 and not having to worry about trying to rush or trying to make something relevant. Like not only could I do that though, I could also pull way back and go more into history of black Canada, of colonialism, of, you know, white supremacy and the theft of this land from indigenous peoples and say like, Guys, when you hear a story and you hear the word racism, when you hear a story on TV, and I mean, nobody uses the term white supremacy, but if you ever hear that, people get shocked by this language. Like, what, is, what, are, what are people talking about? Now I can put all those things into context and I don't feel like I have to rush. So it's been a really wonderful experience that way too. So the year 2017, did it just happen to be the year that you had off to write the book? Or yes. you, it wasn't like you were picking that year no. f- for and any particular reason or for the events of 2017, right? No, and I do say in the book that I could have picked any year. I wanted to have a container to try and like frame some different stories around education, um, child welfare, the police, obviously, the prison system in this country and how those institutions are affecting black people. But I mean, I could have written about 2019 and the leader of this country donning blackface more times than he can remember and then being like, but you know what? That was in the past. Just give me just give me a pass. It's 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 amazing how easily Canada reproduces anti-black racism and then just asks black people to get over it. Mm. It's always a surprise. But then in the next moment after people pretend to be surprised by the racism that we experience every day, then they're asking us to get over it and move on. So it's not history. It's like it's things that are happening right now. You could say you're looking back on events, but you're just tying back past events into the here and now. Well, we have to understand that we don't know anything about where we are if we don't know our history. We don't understand the country that we live in if we don't know our history. You know, the first chapter of this book is called Negro Frolics. And the reason it's called that is because of a law in 1780s Nova Scotia. It wasn't even called Nova Scotia yet, but um, there was a law in a place called Shelburne that said black people who are here are not allowed to drink in public. Black people are not allowed to dance in public. Black people are not allowed to gamble. And if we see them doing any of these things, we can take any action that we want to against them. But if you ask me in 2017, how does that relate, Desmond? Who cares? That was a long time ago. The first story in my book is about a black art gallery owner whose art gallery was raided on New Year's Eve by multiple police officers who beat him up. His name's John Samuels. And then charged him with assaulting the police. Why? Because in 2017, in this country, in 2020, in this country, a group of black people having a good time in a public space where other people can see them is still threatening to white people. White people want to call the police. White people want to tell us that we're being too loud, that there's something about our behavior still to this day that threatens them. Just us having a good time. So these... Things have to be connected to one each other or otherwise, you know, what you get is you get an orange faced loser in the United States becoming their leader. And people then telling me as a black person that racism is creeping up from the United States. What nonsense. But if you don't know your history, you might believe something like that. Well, we think there's a, a distinction that at the 49th parallel in this part of the world or, or you know, whatever the, uh, the Great Lakes, whatever the, the dividing line might be, we think of black-white relations being completely different in Canada than they are in the United States. And a lot of us may view it that way, but your experience tells you differently. Well, okay, let's, let's actually just start with Indigenous peoples on these territories, you know, there's going to be a march today, the Wet'suwet'en Solidarity March, right? Why is that happening? Why is that happening? Because after hundreds of years of colonialism, Indigenous peoples are still saying, you don't own the land, you don't own the water, you don't own the air and the resources, and you have to protect them, and you're not listening, and we've been telling you this for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? That's the frame for my existence here as a black person, is that this is a British colonial occupied space. It does not belong to the governments that say it's their land. It does not belong to the police. It does not belong to the RCMP, but they have taken this land by force. In the same way, the only reason that black people were allowed to come here was to be enslaved. 
And again, people might think, well, that was a long time. I mean, I bet a lot of people are learning even through these conversations that there were in Canada mm-hmm. of black people and indigenous people. They don't know that. But now what do we see? We see things like a, t- a temporary foreign worker program where black people are allowed to come to Canada and work at your Tim Hortons. Black people are allowed to come to Canada and pick your fruit or your vegetables, backbreaking dangerous labor, but they're not allowed to be citizens. What has changed? You tell me. Why are the prisons in this country so full of black and indigenous people when we're such a small fraction of the... This is not a different reality than that southern country that we love to talk about. If you actually look at the outcomes for the average black person in this country, they are abhorrent. But we don't like to look in the mirror in Canada. And this book was an opportunity for me to make us do that. Did you get to the end? And I want to point out, there's tw- is there 13 chapters? 13. But 12 months of the year. So I'm not, there's not extra months in Ontario or something like that <laughs> that I'm like unfamiliar with. There's something now. There's, they used to have grade 13 in Ontario. That's right. So I was just that's trying to think maybe there was something extra going on that I missed out on. Yeah. But you're looking at, did you get to the end of the book and the year or the calendar year, so to speak? And you, you kind of want to learn something from it and kind of see some hope. Did you see more hope? Or did you see more hurt in reflecting back on each month and in each moment of history and the here and now of what's been happening? So first of all, the reason there are 13 chapters in my year, 13 months, if you will, in my year, is because I got to the end and in January of 2018, something really remarkable happened around a national story. A young man named Abdul Abdi, who came here as a refugee Canada actually asked and invited his family to come here from a refugee camp in Djibouti. But then Abdul and his sister were apprehended in the child welfare system. And when that happens to you, right, when you're a kid and you don't have status in Canada and you become a a ward of the state, it's the government's responsibility to finish your citizenship papers. Mm. The government just didn't do that for Abdul and his sister. And he was involved with the criminal justice system, served a prison sentence. And then they said, you know what? you're not a citizen and you've committed this crime, we're going to deport you. We don't even know where to deport you to, but we would like to get you out of Canada, even though you were invited here by our government as a child. I was living that experience in January of 2018, along with L. Jones, an advocate in Halifax, Adil Abdullahi, one of my homies out in Toronto. And we were fighting back for Abdul along with a lot of other people. And I just, it just felt like same year, New year, excuse me, but same challenges. And I wanted to give that sense on the way out of the book. I wanted to say, just because the year changes, things don't wrap up in in a neat and tidy way. As for hope, it's interesting because I get that question a lot. Um, Maybe people feel down when they hear some of the stories that I tell in this book. Maybe they feel discouraged. I'm just telling you what happens in this country. I am a journalist. It's my job to tell stories honestly and accurately. That's all I'm doing. If people feel a sense of dismay, though, after hearing these stories, it is their responsibility to do something. It's good. You should feel that, first of all. I hope so. I hope so. I think that if you actually are learning and it's making you feel troubled, you should you should try to imagine what it's like to have to live these realities every day. Can you stick around for a few more oh, moments? Yeah. We're going to take a break, but I want to read this text message so you can ruminate over the answer. <laughs> And, uh, and get enough people to stick around because it's a provocative question. Can it be that the Aboriginal and African Canadian people are in jail because they committed a crime? Boring. Not because of their skin color. <laughs> the race card is getting old. So uh, there's no such thing as the race card. It's so, it's so annoying to hear the exact same commentaries over and over. You know what interests me, though, about when people say that? Like... They don't care about black people. Okay, I love black people. I am black and I love black people. So if I live in a country where bad things are disproportionately happening to black people, my response is, how do we make that stop? The person who texted that doesn't care whether or not there are disproportionate outcomes for black people. So they're not contributing anything to the conversation. And this is what happens in our country. But the prison system is but one example. You can look at any system of government in this country, the education system, the child welfare system, the labor market, black people are doing worse. And the reason that we are doing worse is because of systemic discrimination and white supremacy. And by the way, that's what makes white people feel entitled to tell us 
what our reality is, to tell us why we're not doing well. And they don't want to talk about their own whiteness, so they're deeply uncomfortable with me as a black person claiming and talking about and owning my blackness. And offended. That's what we keep hearing from people. Yeah. Oh, you're offending me. Yeah, I'm offended that, you know, black people can't get decent work in this country. I'm offended that I had to leave the Toronto Star because they recruited me to talk about black issues. But then when I engaged in a public demonstration, they said, well, you're not supposed to be an activist while you're writing for this newspaper. The Toronto Star has employed Naomi Klein. Mm -hmm. The Toronto Star has employed Craig and Mark Kielberger and Catherine Porter and Michelle Landsberg. And all those people are activists. But it's always different. There's always an explanation for why black people are being treated differently. I'm just tired of the explanations. I'm fighting for my community. We talk about that word activism that you just used there yeah. and what it means and yeah. as we move forward, particularly in light with everything we're seeing with the blockades and, yes. and the Indigenous community uh, responding to all sorts of issues right now. And the idea that to be active means you have to sometimes... Um, do more than just speak out. Sometimes it requires potential illegal actions or other to be heard. Well, what people are doing with blockades is supposed to be one of the only, like the, the main protected rights that we have in Canada, which is the right to assemble peacefully and the right to speak our minds. There's nothing illegal about what people are doing in that regard. What is actually illegal is taking territory that doesn't belong to you by force. What should be illegal is the RCMP saying we're going to shoot to kill in Unistotin camp. These are the things that are illegal is the theft of this land, the destruction of this land that we need in order to survive, to grow food. We need clean water. That's what this blockade and these demonstrations are about. And people should really think about the notion of legal versus can we actually live and survive on these lands. Desmond Cole, what a pleasure it's been to meet you, sir. Thank you for coming to see us. It is my pleasure. And you can see Desmond tonight at McNally Robinson at 7 o'clock, an evening with Desmond Cole discussing and signing the book, The Skin We're In, A Year of Black Resistance and Power. Mackling, McGarry, McNabb, we thank you very much for listening today. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.